So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Really appreciate you tuning in again. Today is actually uh, a bit of a passion conversation for me because it's something that's coming up over and over again. Talking to a lot of high net worth individuals who on the surface of it seem to have everything going on. They have fabulous balance sheets. They look like they're enjoying their life from a, you know, frills and benefits point of view. They've got a great lifestyle. They're not overly lavish. You know, they're mindful about their money. They've been investing for a long time. But what I've been hearing more and more from people when I say to them, well, you know, why don't you just stop working or why can't you just step out of your business? They tell me they can't afford to do that. And so, there's a, there's a few stories I want to share with you today, but really the question that I want to unpack is why? What is getting in the way for these people? Why do they feel that they can't actually step out? Why do they feel they cannot afford it? And these are all people by any definition who would be considered wealthy. So, I actually want to just give you some food for thought on not only the why, but also what you should be thinking about if you find yourself in this situation and want to give yourself an early exit or an ability to redesign the way you live your life. The conversation this week that really prompted me to record this episode was I was having a conversation with a woman who I've become reasonably close with over the last 12 months and she runs a fabulous business. She's really talented and effectively she's found herself in a situation where her health has deteriorated over the last two, three months. And she recognizes that she's burning the candle at both ends and she really just wants to take some time out. She's decided that she's going to take a, a short sabbatical and just really reduce the stress levels, reduce the intensity of her workload. And I guess from my point of view, when I was chatting to her, it's it's obvious that she's done a lot of really good stuff. She has a self-managed super fund. She's invested in real estate. She's done all the right things. She's been a share trader, all sorts of things. But essentially, when I said to her, look, you know, as much as you love your work, clearly, I mean, and, and this woman, I would, I would actually argue is pushing up against retirement age, traditional retirement age. I said, well, what's stopping you from just, you know, pulling up stumps altogether. Because just quietly, I think from conversations I've had with her in the past, I think she'd really like that. But her response was that, no, she just doesn't actually feel she can, can quite afford to do that. Now, she's talented, has her business. Her husband has his own business. They've earned tremendous money over a 40-year-plus life in business. And yet, with whatever net worth they have, they still feel that they cannot step off. And as I said to you, this is a, such a common story. I'm hearing it time and time again from business owners who are, you know, crushing it by all accounts, but who feel that they're just not in a position to let go of that income stream. They're so heavily reliant on it to, you know, bridge the gap between whatever their investments are producing and what they need to maintain their lifestyle. And, you know, most 
savvy investors don't necessarily want to get pushed into the corner of having to sell down assets. So what other choices do they have? And that's the sentiment. The sentiment is, well, I've just really got to keep working and hustling till my asset base reaches a new high, at which point it'll generate enough income for me to live comfortably. And, you know, for these guys as well, you know, often legacy is a major consideration. How do I leave something behind as well? So that's kind of like what prompted me to say, look, I think this is becoming a conversation that I'm hearing on repeat. I probably can't do it full justice in one podcast episode and I've probably touched on it in many past episodes, but today I just really wanted to record this in spite of being very hoarse in the throat. I just really felt like I wanted to get this one out while it was fresh on my mind. And you know, I've heard this so many times. I I remember maybe 10, 15 years ago, there was a, a hairdresser I used to go and see who ran a wildly successful salon. I can't even imagine how much money he brought in. Lived in one of the most affluent suburbs in the city, had a beautiful home, kids in private schools, drove new Mercedes that he sort of switched over every couple of years. And yet, I remember saying to him, you've earned so much money. Like, why do you work so hard? I mean, the poor guy used to work six or seven days a week, never took holidays or very rarely took holidays, had a huge team, but just felt he couldn't afford to take his foot off the gas. And, you know, I think he and this woman that I just mentioned a minute ago are in the same boat of being people who have hustled and redlined and worked hard. And perhaps it's that the habit of working hard is a difficult one to shake. And that's possibly a conversation for another podcast. But, you know, I think that there's a couple of things that I want to pull out of these stories. And then I want to share a couple of case studies with you. One of the things that most investors are completely single-minded about, particularly in the early days of investing, is this idea that they have to focus on assets and investments that will deliver growth. And that makes absolute sense because what you want when you first start out as an investor, and I often call this the four seasons of investing, when you start in spring, you know, the starting point when you enter the workforce is how do I just create some surplus that I can then use to access investments that will grow over time. The problem that we experience, particularly here in Australia, but it's it's a worldwide phenomenon as well, is the majority of investments that are available to most people in the market only offer growth in a speculative market. And I just want to qualify what I mean by that. There are kind of, if you think of a spectrum uh, when it comes to the quality of your investment, down one end of the spectrum, you might have investment grade. And investment grade means the investment already stands on its own two feet. There's not a lot of speculation about it. There's you know, extreme underwriting and due diligence done on the investment as it is. And based on the pro forma or the profitability analysis and what you can do to the asset to potentially improve its value, there's very little speculation. And then down the other end of the spectrum, you have what I call speculative investments. Now, this is not my concept. I must totally give attribution to my dear friend, Mike Slotnick on this one. And I think I've mentioned this model in past episodes. But I kind of want to bring it specifically up in reference to today's podcast because I think it's really important that you understand when you're selecting investments, although you think you're doing as much as you can to stack the odds in your favor, what most people are doing is they are speculating. They want growth assets and they're speculating. And so what that looks like is that you're buying assets and you are hoping and praying that the market continues to rise. Whether you're talking about property, whether you're talking about shares, to some degree, even a lot of the blockchain stuff, 
You're buying at a certain price and you need the market to rise to get that growth. What you need to recognize, however, is there is an element of speculation in that model. So the challenge that exists with that is that if you come to a point in history, like where we are right now, where there is a huge, huge amount of volatility and uncertainty starting to brew in the market, then those speculative investments where you are banking on a rising market become harder and harder to pull the trigger on. And, you know, I think the real question that you have to ask yourself is if you were to take a haircut across the board in terms of the investments that you hold, let's say, and I'm going to say worst case scenario, let's say the market tanked and you lost 20%. The problem is you lose on those investments. And in fact, in general, if the market goes sideways or if the market drops, you lose on those speculative type growth investments. So I just wanted to give you that as context. And then really the the three keys that I want you to think about when it comes to your own portfolio, because I do want this to be really relevant. I want nothing more than to be a spokesperson for how to invest from a different kind of mindset so that you can achieve what you want long before traditional retirement age, or if you're in the unfortunate position that maybe retirement isn't too far away, that you can really change your trajectory and get to a really happy outcome in a very short space of time if you kind of can embrace what I'm about to share. So number one, I would say you need to pause and think about the burdens that come with growing more capital. And I say this as the starting point because a lot of people that I'm speaking to, they don't actually need more capital. They've actually got a really solid net worth. They've already done a lot of work to grow their wealth to the position that they're in today. The issue that they face is that the capital that they have just simply isn't working hard enough. And unfortunately, particularly in my market and many other markets around the world, the types of investments that most people are buying do not lend themselves to strong income. So the thing that I would say to you is, and what my hairdresser and my other friend that I spoke to this week were expressing was that they felt the only way to solve their financial problem was to grow their net worth even more to tolerate the very paltry cash flow that came so that they could afford to retire. I mean, effectively, what everyone is trying to do is create a an income stream for themselves outside of their business so that they can put themselves in a situation where, you know, they're not completely dependent on that one source of income. Because as we all know, you know, tides can turn, things can happen. And if there's any fracture or interruption to that income, then you can be really caught, you know, with your pants down. So the first thing I want to say is that I really want you to pause and consider the burdens that come with growing more capital and really ask yourself the question, do I actually need more capital or is it that I just need to get the capital that I have working a little better for me? You know, the the burdens that come with growing capital is potentially you may have to take on more leverage. You may have to expose yourself to more speculative type investments. You may reduce your protection from volatility. So if we think, for example, about the share market, you need to find more capital to buy shares. So you can either do that through, you know, trying to access equity that you already have, or you've got to actually just save it either through dividends in your business or personal savings. If you want more property, it's the same. You've got to apply leverage 
You got to deal with the banks. And, you know, that comes with its own bag of snakes. And if you're someone who has already got a reasonable property portfolio and a reasonable share portfolio, or you've got some kind of equity behind you, it might not appeal. I know certainly a lot of people I speak to, there's only so many properties they want to own because the administrative hassle and, and all the burdens that come with it aren't quite right, the right next move for them. And so I think it's really, you know, you want to pause before you think about taking on more speculative investments, particularly with where we are in the market now. If anything, I feel that this is a time to be de-risking your portfolio, reducing leverage, like really raining, raining down your exposure to that volatility. The second thing that I really wanted to kind of make as a, a point for consideration is that let's say you've got a reasonably good net worth and you have it predominantly at the moment in investments that are producing very little cash flow. It doesn't mean that they're not performing well for you because certainly, for example, in the property market, most people who've invested in property over the last 20, 30 years have laughed all the way to the bank, myself included. You know, a lot of my net worth is made up of equity that kind of grew in my sleep and I've sort of had a bit of a set and forget type portfolio. The question though that I want you to consider is if you were to take a small percentage and I call it minimum viable, and you can play with this number and put that capital to work in a way that it was producing consistent income, how would that transform your overall property or wealth performance portfolio? So I want to actually talk you through at least one example here, and I'm just going to bring it up so I get the numbers right. So this is a, uh, a case study from the event that I ran on the weekend that I wanted to share. These guys have six investment properties and a net worth of about 4 million bucks. They've got a couple of properties, actually three properties that are underperforming. They have very poor cash reserves and they have reasonably high lifestyle costs. Now, their great frustration is that the income stream coming off these properties is a far cry from what they need to be free to just walk away from their business. And so really, if they were to take, and this is me just playing with their numbers, let's say they've got this net worth of 4 million bucks. If they took, let's call it 20% of that portfolio, so 800,000 and put it to work earning a net return of say 10%, let's say that's roughly $80,000 a year and they weren't going to let it compound. They were just going to start earning that money. They were looking for opportunities where they can just start earning that money now. It's $80,000, but that $80,000 completely outperforms or at least is equivalent to the cash flow that they have across the entire portfolio now. At the moment, they're getting one to one and a half percent net cash flow across that portfolio. So sort of around the 50K mark. But by adding that extra 80, they've bridged the gap between where they are right now and where they want to be. And effectively, they've shaved at least 20 years off their timeline to financial freedom. So, the point I'm trying to make here is that it's up to you to do the numbers. I mean, I can certainly help people who are interested, but the idea of taking a small percentage of your portfolio and asking it to work a little harder than how it's working right now without rocking the boat. So, you know, I'm certainly not suggesting that anyone rush out and sell their portfolio in order to do that. I'm saying, how can you have your cake and eat it too? How could you keep the investment properties that you have and bake in some income producing investments? And you, you'll start to see whether it's 5% of your net worth, 10%, 20%, maybe even as much as 30%, you can completely 
transform your relationship to time and the freedom to choose when you step off. So I don't want to go too much deeper on those guys right now because I do feel that, you know, I think the point is it could be any number. So that was my second thing, you know, going just to summarize, consider for yourself, given your current net worth, if you were to take a small, a minimum viable percentage of that capital and put it into cash producing investments and just pick a number like somewhere between eight to 12%. What would that mean to your timeline? What would that mean to your overall portfolio performance? The third and final piece that I want to kind of really stress, and again, this has kind of come up in questions that I've had from people. The idea of investing money in income producing assets is so damn foreign to some people, even because I mean, and they're just not in mainstream. They, they exist. They're viable. They're real. They have certainly been the pli- private playground of a lot of individuals over the last couple of decades, but there's a lot of fear. And I understand that fear. And certainly my own experience, which I've shared with many of you, has been that, you know, I've done it all wrong. I started investing with the wrong people in the wrong cities with the wrong strategy. So I've had plenty of cuts and bruises along the way. So yes, it's easy to make mistakes, but through experience, I've found that you know, I've been able to ratchet my way into better and better networks. And the thing that has struck me as the single most important thing is the greatest tool you have to overcome fear is to educate yourself. So, there's a couple of points I want to make on this. The two wealth models that I see predominantly being used by people all over the world is either one, the abdicating model, meaning I don't have the headspace or time. I don't understand this stuff. I'm not the expert. So I'm going to give all my money to somebody else and just hope they do a really good job with it. The other model is the lone wolf model, which I've actually spoken about in a past podcast, which is the I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to scour the net, consume as much content as I can, um, and I'm going to go out there and find the deals myself. Now, to some degree, there's a, definitely an element of education in the lone wolf model, which I admire, and I certainly have have done that from time to time. But it's really hard. It's really hard work. And, you know, I can say that it took me a lot of time, money, and expense, hundreds of thousands of dollars, in fact, to get to where I am today. But I would say to you that there are opportunities out there to educate yourself on options around alternative investments outside of mainstream where you can take control of your investment decision making. And really that's the ultimate goal. So whether I'm talking about the abdicating model or the lone wolf model, I'm really saying is those models are tough, both of them. The abdicating model is tough because you're basically outsourcing all decision-making to someone else. And the truth of the matter is there are countless studies which show that if you want to be really wealthy and get premium returns, you cannot outsource your wealth-making. It just doesn't work. And at the other end, there are a lot of people who are trying to adopt the lone wolf model and have varying degrees of success, but it's a really hard model. So I'm really hugely a fan of if you've got a timeline now, which is kind of a bit tight, or you just don't want to waste any more time, then educating yourself with the right people to overcome any kind of fear is really the thing that will get you over the line in terms of giving you the confidence to start thinking outside the square and accessing investments that do sit a little left of field and outside of mainstream. I've said this before, a lot of people are concerned that, you know, alternative investments and 
you know, I know that's a really broad expression in itself, but that they're, they're really risky and weird. And again, I would say to you that the fastest way to de-risk something is number one is be educated in it and understand it. And then you know how to rule investments in or out. So education is is crucial. They're the three things I wanted to really kind of give you as practical takeaways today. But I really want to just summarize again. If you are someone who has a relatively good net worth, good balance sheet, if you earn good money, but you feel crippled by the lifestyle costs that you have and an inability to have kind of duplicated that income stream outside your business and you're looking for another way, you must consider alternative investments. You must educate yourself on them. You've got to find a way to put a percentage of your capital into these investment deals so that you can ratchet up your cash flow and put yourself in a position where you have choice. Move away from speculative investments that can create basically just more of what you already have. And particularly as we go into these high volatile times, look to de-risk your portfolio, not increase the risk. You know, as I get older, I certainly realize that, you know, maybe I'm getting a bit old in the tooth. But when I was younger, I was happy to redline and hustle and, you know, take some big risks. And now as I get to a point where I want to work less and I want to enjoy my life, I certainly am not prepared to take the sort of risks that I did, you know, 20 years ago. And, you know, I recognize that it's been part of my journey to take big risks and, you know, experience a couple of big losses along the way. But it doesn't have to be the way that, you know, you invest from here on in. It saddens me greatly when I talk to people who are maybe approaching 50 or in their 50s who have felt they had no choice but to take on something hugely risky just because they felt they had no other choice and it was going to be the thing that got them over the line only to find that they've lost the lot. So guys, the where I want to leave this today and, and my call to action is that go through those three points, apply them to your own portfolio, have a think about what that kind of outcome would mean to you. And if you want some help working through those things, then please reach out. I'm more than happy to communicate. Just send me an email, selena at incosiwealth.com. But till next time, yeah, please take care and uh, stay safe in this freezing cold weather. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to incosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.